You may know from our last episode that when we spoke with Peter Rollins, we did so at his place in LA. But what you may not know was that it was the morning that President Trump had been elected. Fresh from a sleepless flight, we not only had great conversation with a thinker and author who's been formative for both of us, but we had the opportunity to hear Pete talk hot off the press about his thoughts and reactions of those around him. So whilst we couldn't squeeze it into the last podcast episode, we thought we'd make this little snippet of conversation available in this Cutting Room Floor episode. And beyond Peter Rowland's thoughts on Trump, we also feel we were pretty generous to him in the editing room when we cut together his answer to Faith's question. So we've thrown his full response in here too, along with some thoughts on his most recently released book, The Divine Magician. So enjoy a little bit more of Peter Rowland's. Peter Rollins, thanks for coming beyond ring. It's great to be here. Well, you're here. I'm yeah. not with you. You're with me in LA. And it's uh, great to see you've survived the Trump apocalypse. We ended oh, yes. this morning. So Yeah, it's all change yeah. at the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you've come out of your state of shock. Well, to be honest with you, my views politically are a little bit different from a lot of my contemporaries. So... Uh, in many ways, I don't participate in state politics at all. That's a kind of a position I take. And um, so a lot of this, so Hillary, who represents basically American corporate politics yeah. and business, um, is not is not someone who I particularly was interested in. So I don't think I could have voted for either yeah, yeah, for different yeah. reasons. I mean, I was Bernie Sanders is somebody who I was very interested in, politically speaking. But, uh, you know, Trump is... Uh, this despicable character who mm. is actually potentially going to blow things up a little bit. Yeah. And that's always puts you into interesting times. Sure. I mean, the philosopher Slavio Ashizek, um, he wrote an article there recently and said, while he wouldn't vote for anybody in this election, uh, in a sense, a vote for the worst um, is mm. potentially a move for some real change politically and a real uh, revitalization of the true left. Um, and that actually what might happen in the aftermath of this election is is genuine grassroots uh, movement. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in what's what's going to happen. I was uh, I couldn't say I wanted a Trump uh, victory at all, um, but I was very wary of a Hillary mm-hmm. victory. And I was very wary that that just would mean more of the same yes. um, and even um, concerned that that would uh, have problems in terms of like uh, a global conflict. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, certain concerns I have with Hillary and her her stance as a ha- more hawkish individual um, that uh, that uh, that concerned me. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's that, that we could talk politics yeah. all day. But um, I I uh, yeah, when I was very young, I I definitely made a decision not to enmesh myself within the system within whether the political system or the capitalist system and uh, I've only ever had I think two jobs in my life two part-time jobs in my life I've generally lived under the radar and not not fully participated Um, but uh, Icon and some communities I've been part of are very much about political engagement Um, and we did engage politically in Belfast a lot uh, but it wasn't party politics it was something else I mean we protested the Iraq war for example but we did that um, from the outside rather than from the inside. Mm. Mm. That's nice. We're not here to talk about the election, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard I heard uh, Slavoj Zizek yeah. um, 
I, and I slur the pronunciation of his name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll just try and get through it quickly. Um, I, I heard him just talk, talking about the choice between and, and maybe whether or not wouldn't it be interesting if Trump got in. And I get that on a systematic level that, okay, if, if Hillary is potentially the perpetuation of a system which actually allows these two to be the only two best candidates you've got to choose from, yeah. um, I get that on a systematic level. But the, the practical implication for individuals' lives is damaging. Yes. It's, it's difficult because there's a number of issues. I mean, one issue, for example, is um, if you believe, for example, that there is a coming potential crisis, the world could be in crisis, and then someone like Donald Trump could usher in a mm. crisis, then you're going to be very, very concerned. Mm. You're going to go like, well maybe more of the same is better than the crisis that someone like Trump could could bring in. However, if you think that we are already in crisis, that the crisis already exists, the apocalypse has already happened, that deep violence is occurring all around the world, um, and that it's not a choice between relative stability and chaos, but actually it's almost like if you think of a fire and you're thinking that maybe to put this fire out, we're going to need an explosive you know, like oil fires require an explosive to kind of like extinguish them, then it becomes slightly different. Also, another issue is whether it's possible to have real revolutionary change um, without um, a deep uh, uh, violence and destruction and upheaval. Um, And this is why, you know, Shizek talks about coffee without caffeine and and all of that. He's saying what we want is we want a revolution without revolution. Mm -hmm. And of course we do. Of course we do. And if we can have a bloodless revolution, that's that's really good. However, if you are more the the thought that actually real upheaval requires um, fundamental disturbance of the political coordinates, um, then you're probably more... This is a thing, you're not wanting it. You're not wanting it, mm. but you're, in a sense, going, okay, what, what will cause less violence in the long term and what will cause more genuine liberation and freedom in the long term? Sure. And that these are all difficult questions, and I believe that these are important questions for uh, politically people who lean to the left need to have. At the moment, however, uh, societally speaking, defence mechanisms are incredibly high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if, and, um, and at the moment, I don't think these discussions can even happen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's just my experience of seeing what, what's going on. People's emotions on all sides are so high that we're very... We have a tendency to demonise the other, to scapegoat the other, to reduce these important discussions to very simple solutions and and i think that's totally fine i can understand why but i think once the dust settles uh you know we we need to make you know really need to have these these conversations in your most recent book the divine magician you sort of talk about um these sorts of others as almost a gift to us is actually almost part of our salvation that the thing that we scapegoat the thing that we is that almost sort of what you're saying that trump could be or Trumpism could almost be a gift that it actually exposes something we need to see or hear or I definitely think it exposes something that um, exposes something that is happening in America but both Hillary and Trump sure. <laughs> expose issues yeah. that are that are occurring in the US that that we were able to get to a point and I say we I'm not American mm. um, but this country was able to get to a point where this was our these were our alternatives mm. um, 
tells us something and we need to listen to that. Mm. We need to listen to what, what does the rise of Trump mean? And by the way, I am very concerned with the way that we, we and I include myself in this, demonize Trump's, Trump supporters, yes. um, yep. many of whom, and this happened in Brexit. Hmm. Uh, in Brexit, I had a tendency to think that this was a bunch of racists, hmm. people who were terrified of immigrants, and it was xenophobia, all of that. But actually, in, in many respects, uh, the people who voted were voting because there's a lack of jobs, lack of access to education, poverty. They've seen destruction of their livelihoods. And in some respects, they're saying there is something radically wrong and and there is some level of protest in that. And even when there is racism and there is sectarianism, the question, of course, has to be why. You know, unless you've got a very low anthropology and you just think everyone's an asshole, right? You can think that, right? No, no, okay, they're just they're just evil. They're just bad. They're just demons. You might not be wrong. Yeah, it might not be wrong. Absolutely, you know. But if you kind of go, okay, well, people's views are a symptom of their material circumstances, what's going on in their lives, what they're surrounded by. Even these can sometimes be symptoms of other things. And the reason why I'm sensitive to that is because, like yourselves, I've been in the religious world. I'm in the religious world and I know that people who are called fundamentalists mm. who are seen as evil and bad, I've been in those worlds mm. and I know that one, obviously not everybody is evil and bad and uh, two, a lot of people have a lot of questions, a lot of internal thinking that's going on and actually if you kind of in a sense, if you're sympathetic and you allow a space for those questions to arise, you find out that for example, six day creationists are not these hardcore six-day creationists. You know, that's, they, they feel that they have to believe that. It's part of the belief system of being a Christian or something like that. But when they're given the freedom to really think and they're respected, um, that can begin to disintegrate and, and, and healing and progress can happen. And uh, in the same way, I think that a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you've got a kid and you keep saying your kid is terrible, is rubbish, is good for nothing, will never amount to anything... Uh, what happens is that becomes internalized, mm. and you know, in you and in the kid, in the, yeah, in you and in the child, and, and it just damages them. Mm. But if you've got a child and the child keeps messing up, but you you're able to say, but I think you can do better than this, and you can encourage them, mm. almost trusting them before they're trustworthy, yeah. uh, that can actually lead lead to to them kind of finding more healing and, and moving forward. And I think in the same way we have to try to change someone who's a city dweller and someone who lives in LA and lives among the artists and the, the intellectual elite basically of America. Um, have to go like, no, we don't, do we demonize people who live in urban rural areas? Mm -hmm. Do we demonize these people? Mm -hmm. um, and are we the, the big other who is saying to them, mm -hmm. you'll never amount to anything. You're just racist, xenophobic, you're this, you're that. Mm -hmm. Um, and anyway, I worry about that. Totally, mm. totally. This is all very serious, but I can't believe it. I, I was nervous because I was like, oh my goodness, I'm having this interview the day after the election. <laughs> I was nervous for a few reasons because we're like, well, this is like the worst time to talk about stuff in some ways because although this won't go out until later on, but at this moment, everybody, there's a lot of shock. There's yeah. a lot of defense, there's a lot of whatever. And yeah. so this is a very deep way, to, a heavy way yes. to start this interview. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Dad tells me, you think following Jesus is a bit like a magic trick. 
I like magic. I think Jesus is trying to change the world to be more loving. How does a magic trick help the world to be more loving? Oh, wow, Faith, that is a brilliant question. That is a tough question. Um, and by the way, it's a beautiful name, Faith. It's a really good name. Okay, why is Christianity a magic trick? And do I have to help a six-year-old <laughs> <Yeah>. understand? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be a youth worker. Yeah. Not that young, but yeah, <laughs> teenagers. Okay. Oh, I'm taking a second. Yeah, okay. Faith has thrown some curveballs in her time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here it is. There it is. I don't even have. I don't have a kid. I don't know what because I kids are amazing, but I'm, I'm not. I'm all oh, right. Okay. Okay. Why is Christianity a, like a magic trick? That's impossible. It's impossible for me to do this. A, the, a magic trick. I, I have my little coin trick that I do. I can make a coin disappear in front of you, abracadabra, and then it reappears. Um, oh, that's wow. Like, yeah, I am stumped. I am stumped. <laughs> Every time I think of a way of saying this and like that, like I can just imagine Faith is going to be looking at me like, what? <laughs> what? Uh, uh, can you guys help me? Out? How would you describe it? <laughs> um, okay, I should give this one more try. What I am saying is that we think that there's something that will really make us happy. Maybe it's a, a Christmas present. We want a puppy or we want a pony or we want some, some, some computer game. And we think if only we had that, that would be amazing. And then I'd be happy and, and I'd never be sad again. But of course, if we get the puppy or the pony or the computer game after a few weeks, well, it doesn't really satisfy us. We want other things. Mm-hmm. And Christianity often... Uh, is like that. We think that, oh, if only we say the right prayer, if only we do the right thing, if only we're good enough, then we'll be happy and everything will be wonderful. But it never works. And so that has to disappear. That idea has to just disappear entirely. And in its place, something else appears. And what appears is enjoying life in the midst of all the difficulties and and in not getting everything you want and realizing that actually it's about loving the people around us enjoying our lives having fun and not trying to find the thing that will will satisfy us completely but finding satisfaction in 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 our everyday life with all its beauty and all its difficulty mm. And parents listening might want to read your book, The Divine Magician, for, yeah, the, uh, for the adult explanation of why faith is like a magic trick and some of the more technical uh, ex- exploration of the, the constituent parts of a magic trick yes. and how that applies to, to faith and particularly the celebration of communion or the Eucharist. Oh, yeah, yeah. the ultimate magic trick in yeah. a sense, yeah. Because well, magic tricks have three parts. They have the, the pledge where an object is held in front of you. They turn where it disappears and the prestige, as you know, which is the return of the object. 
that the object that returns is never really the same object. The coin that disappears is not the same coin that appears. The magician is using a different coin. And yeah, the Eucharist is like that. You have an object, which is the sacred God in bread and wine. The disappearance of that object, as you consume it, it disappears. And then you have the prestige, which is the return, but it returns slightly differently. So you're waiting, waiting, waiting for the return of what's gone. And you try and look spiritual and all of that. And then eventually you start to feel uncomfortable in the pew. And then you get up and, and hey, there's somebody who's lost their job. And you're like, oh, you know, I heard you lost your job. Uh, you must be tough. Can I help out? Or there's someone just had a kid. Oh, wow, that's brilliant. But you must be exhausted. Can I look after your other children for a while just to give you a bit of peace? And you realize that that is the prestige. That is the return of the sacred, not as some object, but as the depth dimension in objects, mm-hmm. as, as that which expresses itself in our interactions with each other. Mm-hmm. You all become the body of Christ. Exactly. That was a little bonus time spent with the fascinating Peter Rollins. Sifted out from all the good stuff we couldn't quite fit into the main episode. For the full episode featuring Pete, or to hear more Beyondering, including our conversations with Alexander Shire, Diana Butler Bass, Robin Myers, Jared McKenna, Dave Andrews, Alex Sangster, Parker Palmer, John Dominic Cross, and oh my goodness, there's just so many. Just click subscribe to Beyondering via iTunes or SoundCloud and we'll magically appear in your pocket whenever a new episode is published. Did you know you can even buy Beyondering's theologically thoughtful Christmas cards? Just go to beyondering.com.au. We'd love to have you come aboard this journey with us as we go Beyondering. Beyondering.